I thought all we gotta do is put some of my mama's makeup on it and everything will be fine. No, I tried different ways. I couldn't get close to her at all. I don't know what I expect. I guess that's what you get when you come with the bell of the ball. It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. Since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales, and personal tales, and fairy tales, and historical tales, and more. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. And today on the show, you'll hear stories of firsts and lasts. You know, the first time you did something, or the last time you experienced something. When you think of some of your firsts and lasts, what comes to mind? Maybe riding your first bicycle, experiencing your first kiss, maybe attending your last day of school, reflecting on these experiences and other experiences as well is kind of the whole point of the show. We always say that we hope the stories we bring to you on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people you love. And if you've never really shared your stories with others, well, there's a first time for everything. You're going to hear stories today from Waddy Mitchell, David Holt, and Donald Davis. And to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by our producer, Jeff. Jeff Simpson. Jeff, it's great to have you with me. I am excited to be here, Sam. <laughs> we're going to have a f- frightfully good conversation here. Yes, right? yeah. I like what you did there yes, because we're listening to A Frightful Night by Glenda Bonin. <laughs> and, you know, this story is going to sound like it's the classic setup to a number of horror stories, right? <laughs> right? Where the babysitter is alone in the house and she hears the mis- this mysterious noise, and yet it doesn't ever really go into frightful territory. Although I'm sure uh, anybody listening could really sympathize with being alone and feeling vulnerable and feeling like sounds that weren't there before all of a sudden come out of the woodwork and is there some ghostly figure lurking about, or is it your imagination? I kind of slipped into Paul Freeze there for a second. Um, but it's interesting because she does this while she's she's babysitting. She has this experience where she gets up to investigate this noise. And uh, we'll talk more about my babysitting experiences here for just a second. But it should be noted, this is young Glenda Bonin's very first babysitting adventure. And uh, it turns out to be her last for this particular family, but I'll let her explain why. (laughs) Well, we're ready to hear the story. Glenda Bonin is the storyteller, and the story is, again, as Jeff said, even though the title is A Frightful Night, scare level zero. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) So, A Frightful Night. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Sometimes our frightening experiences are quite unexpected. In Portland, Oregon, when I was 13, I got a great summer job helping Mrs. Warner, a very rich lady who lived on Piddock Drive in the fancy northwest neighborhood above Washington Park. Most of the stately homes on Piddock Drive had been built on large parcels of land early in the 1900s. Some even had separate servants' quarters. Mrs. Warner was in her 70s. Her husband had died recently, and Mrs. Warner wanted someone in the house during the day to keep her company. It was quite a treat for me to have this job, since Mom and I lived in a small one-room apartment in a run-down neighborhood at the bottom of the hill, and I didn't know much about fine things. 
By fine things, I mean rich carpets, expensive furniture, silver teapots, crystal chandeliers, shiny copper-bottom pots hanging from a special rack in the kitchen, and beautifully decorated china plates, so thin you could see light through them. Mrs. Warner told me she had employed live-in servants for many years. Once Mr. Warner passed away, however, she stopped entertaining in a lavish style, so a staff of servants was no longer needed. My job was to dust, polish, vacuum, and fetch tea for Mrs. Warner. Sometimes she would invite a few ladies over for a luncheon, and I was asked to serve. Mrs. Warner taught me how to set a proper table and made certain that I knew where to find everything in the kitchen and pantry. Next to the pantry was the butler's closet. A butler's closet? Can you imagine that? It's like the heart of the house, a place where the butler keeps track of stuff and makes sure that everything is running smoothly. As Mrs. Warner pushed open the door to the butler's closet, she mentioned something about needing to call in a locksmith, since the latch on that door never seemed to close completely. Inside the closet, there were two more doors, one to the basement and another to the backyard. Outside, right next to the door, was a large wood-covered coal chute. The house was heated with oil now, so the coal chute hadn't been used for a long time. As I looked at it, I wondered if the opening was big enough for me to slide down into the basement. I decided it would be fun to try it, and I put that on my to-do list. When we came in from the yard, Mrs. Warner showed me all around the butler's closet. There was a tall, freestanding rosewood coat rack with a small mirror near the top, so I could check my hair before I went into the dining room to serve the ladies. There was a little panel with small lights on the wall opposite the coat rack. Mrs. Warner carefully explained that whenever she needed me during lunch, she would push a button under the table and the bulb marked dining room would light up and I would know it was time for me to serve. I asked her about the other bulb on the panel and it had the words master bedroom under it. She told me I needed to ignore that one. I had worked for Mrs. Warner for about four weeks when her son and family came to visit. They had two little boys, one five and the other three years old. They asked me if I would babysit the children so that they could go to the country club for dinner. I had never been in that old house alone or at night, and I had never babysat before. So I agreed. I was excited. This was my chance to finally prove just how grown-up I was. I was certain that this job would be the start of my new career as a professional babysitter. The boys were sleeping when Mrs. Warner and her guests drove away in the rain. I brought a book to read, so I sat down on the sofa, adjusting a blanket around my legs, since the house seemed sort of chilly. Then, I remembered that I hadn't checked all the doors to make certain they were locked. As I walked around the house from door to door, I noticed that the floor creaked, the door squeaked, and the musky smell that was always in that place seemed even stronger at night. I took one last look at the sleeping boys and went back to my book in the living room. After five minutes or so, I heard a strange noise. 
It sounded like tapping. I tried to localize just where the sound was coming from. Tap, tap, tap. It sounded like someone walking, pacing back and forth. I quietly put down my book, tossed aside the blanket, and I walked toward the kitchen. The sound was like footsteps on a tile floor, and as I got nearer the kitchen, the tapping got louder. Tap, tap, tap. I was certain now that the noise was coming from the kitchen. It was dark in the area next to the door where I was standing, and there was no light in the kitchen, so I, well, I held my breath, and I pushed quietly on the door and peeked in. The kitchen was empty. I took a breath, and I heard it again. Tap, tap, tap. Oh, my eyes tracked the location of the sound. It was coming from the butler's closet. I had locked the outside door to the closet when I went through the house earlier, but I had not checked the basement door. I was struck with the terrifying thought that whoever was making that pacing sound in the butler's closet must have gotten into the basement through the chute. This was not a good thing. I suddenly remembered hearing something about an escaped prisoner on the car radio when Mrs. Warner's son picked me up earlier that night. I tried to think of some way to protect myself. What if this was that prisoner and he meant to hurt the boys and me? I was frantic. This, my first babysitting job, might be my last babysitting job. I decided that as the person in charge, I had to do something. The door to the closet was ajar as usual, so I stood behind the door and I carefully peered into the dark room. I saw a tall form in the dark and I almost fainted when two red glowing eyes looked my way. I really wasn't thinking when I sprang into action. I reached up and grabbed a big pan hanging from the rack near the door and I started screaming like a maniac. I charged through the door, intent on getting the red-eyed monster before it got me. Whammo! I struck the thing between the eyes with the great big pan, and it fell to the floor with a thud. I stood above it with a pan ready to strike again if that thing showed any sign of life. Then I reached out with a shaking hand toward the light switch. Oh, to my horror, I saw another pair of red eyes staring at me from the other side of the room. I, I felt sick. How many of them were in the house? I had to see what the monsters looked like, and I switched on the light. I couldn't believe it. I had killed the rosewood coat rack. Pieces of broken mirror were scattered all over the floor. The remaining red eyes continued to glow from the call lights on the wall directly across from the coat rack and where it had been standing. But the noise, where was that noise coming from? I could still hear the tapping. I looked around. The tapping was coming from the steam radiator control knobs. 
the central radiator in the butler's closet was working for the first time that season. Mrs. Warner had probably turned the heat on before they left and forgot to tell me about it. Well, I set the coat rack upright, swept up the broken mirror, and put the dented pan back on the rack and went back to my book, grateful that the boys had slept through the entire incident. When Mrs. Warner and her guests returned from dinner and asked how everything had gone that evening, I told them everything was fine. Nothing unusual had happened. My plan was to tell Mrs. Warner about the coat rack the next time I worked for her. But she never called me again. So, now you know the reason why I never became a professional babysitter. A Frightful Night, a story told for you by Glenda Bonin, a babysitting adventure, right? Yes. That is kind of terrifying, though, as a young babysitter, this idea of, oh my goodness, I cannot break anything, none of the kids can get hurt, Otherwise, I'll never be invited back, which is exactly what happened to Glenda Bonin, but not necessarily because she broke something, but maybe because she tried to cover it up, right? Our imaginations do a lot, don't they? We, yeah. we, we go into a, a situation of responsibility like that, and we're sure a disaster is going to happen, right? We, we just spend all of our time just worrying that something's going to happen, that the likelihood of happening is very low, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to be fine, generally. It made me think of my first babysitting experience, though, which was not nearly as eventful as Glenda's. I remember going over to the next-door neighbors at 11 years old, being hired to babysit, thinking, aren't I a little too young to be babysitting your kids at 11 <laughs> years old? But I didn't complain because I showed up and they had McDonald's. I got to put the kids down early and watch TV the rest of the night. Which, as you know, with a lot of kids in your own family, fighting over who gets to watch the television is kind of a big deal. Oh, so yeah. to have it all to myself was <laughs> was heaven. <laughs> so do you remember what you watched? Oh, I'm sure it was something on Nickelodeon, maybe <laughs> Snick at Night. That's right. You know, the, these these experiences that we have where we suddenly step out from under the shadow of the way it's always done at our house, you know, mm-hmm. and we find ourselves able to kind of run the show how we want to run the show. You know? yeah. For some of us, babysitting is kind of that first experience. You, you can know? learn a lot about a person and their personality and leadership skills or maybe lack thereof by getting <laughs> them to babysit. Is this person overbearing? Is this person a kind of a pushover? Is this somebody that shouldn't have this much responsibility? <laughs> you can learn a lot about a young person from babysitting. You know, babysitting stories, as, as you listen to A Frightful Night by Glenda Bonin, Chances are pretty good that a babysitting story came to your mind, and we invite you to open your mouth and share those babysitting adventures with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. There's a whole lot more coming up on The Appleseed. Jeff Simpson, thanks for being with me. Great to be here. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. We're off to a great start this hour with that story from Glenda Bond and a frightful night that you heard a moment ago in which young Glenda survives her first night as a babysitter. Lots more stories about firsts and lasts coming up. You're going to hear a story and song about a last meal from the great storyteller and musician David Holt, and he'll be joined by another great storyteller and musician, Josh Goforth. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to hear also from the dean of storytelling, Donald Davis, the North Carolina storyteller, who will bring us another babysitting story, actually. All of that is coming up. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the books that we read and the meals that we share, the songs that we love, the films that we see, and of course, the stories that we pass down from teller to listener, sometimes over generations and generations. And talking about how some of those great stories come into our lives is something we love to do with friends. I'm thrilled to be joined in the studio by Rod Gustafson, who has seen Gosh, more movies, I'm telling you. Rod, more it's so mo- great to have More you. movies than he can literally remember because I have a brain like a sieve, <laughs> which has been a real blessing for me because I've watched a lot of movies. I'm happy I don't remember. Well, I was, I was going to say more movies, as we've discovered, than one can like, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We're going to talk about a film today. Uh, tell us what we're going to talk about. Well, let me ask you this question first. Where were you when Neil Armstrong... Oh, man, Sam, I forgot. I'm old. <laughs> You weren't even here when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, were you? I will tell you, the first big outer space thing that made a fan of me Mm -hmm. was when I was in elementary school and the media center specialist, which is Mm -hmm. what we called our librarian, grabbed all of the upperclassmen in the elementary school, the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, into the library, pushed a big cart with a television on Uh it in front uh of us, and we watched together the launch of the space shuttle, space Columbia. shuttle. I was going to say, as I look at you, yeah. Sam, I'm thinking you're a space shuttle kid. Yeah, missed it oh, by two years. Sam, <laughs> I go way, way back to the Saturn V and the Apollo <laughs> missions. I don't remember John Glenn, so isn't that Got good? Got it. News? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know where you were right. when yes. Neil was on the moon. You might have been up there with him, for all we know. <laughs> Anyhow, I was in. I was living in that little podunk country town I always talk about. And in the middle of the Canadian Prairie in southern Alberta. And uh, we could get one station, and it and we couldn't get it very well. And my parents had this little old black and white TV, but I remember just so uh, clearly waiting and waiting for Neil Armstrong to come out of that capsule mm-hmm. and take his first step on the moon. And just how incredible that was. And and even in my little in my little boy brain, because I was pretty young when this happened, I remember even trying to think to myself, how are they getting these pictures back? Hmm. And in my brain, it must have meant that there was a long piece of film that was going from the moon <laughs> to the earth. <laughs> it's the only way I could figure it out. Right. But so many, it was just amazing watching this happen. And even like when the first image from the moon came, it almost appeared upside down. Well, yeah. let me tell you the story. We're going to talk about a movie called The Dish. And this is an Australian movie that came out, I think, in about 2000. And... It's a real nerdy movie, but at the same time, a very entertaining movie. It's got a lot of good Australian comedy to it. But what The Dish is about is it's about the satellite receiving station in another middle-of-nowhere place, Parks, Australia. 
and about the technicians who were working there the night that they had the responsibility of being the downlink location, which means this is the satellite dish that's receiving the the low-resolution television signal from the moon. It has to get picked up somewhere and then be distributed to the entire world, and it's happening there. And a lot of things almost made it that we didn't get to see Neil Armstrong on the moon. So this is the story of that. It's really interesting. True story, then. True story, story. including why it started off upside down and Uh. so many other things that were going on. It really is amazing. It's no wonder the picture looks so bad because you had, first of all, trying to get it from the moon to the earth. And then they had to literally, they had to convert the the signal. So they literally were taking a picture of this television screen in Parks Australia and then sending it off to different places around the earth. And then there's little me sitting with this in the middle of nowhere with this big TV antenna on our garage roof watching this snowy picture. It's a wonder we could see anything. But when I um, when this movie came out, and I remember reviewing it, and I don't even know if it made it to theaters. If it did, it didn't make it to very many. Mm. But I remember watching this, and wow, it just brought back that memory. And yeah. it was so cool to understand some of the many, many people that were involved in helping us all have this shared human experience. Because one of the joys about Apollo 11 and Armstrong on the moon, those were back in the days where, yeah, we were, you know, we were butting heads with the USSR and other countries were certainly having their problems. 1969 was not an exactly peaceful time. But at that moment, when Armstrong put his foot on the ground, we were one. All of us. Yeah, whether we were Canadian, American, Russian, whatever. And just seeing all of the different links that came together with that. As you watch this movie, you get this profound respect of what humanity is able to do and able to accomplish, even back in 1969, how many people it took to do that and just how we all work together yeah. to, to bring that together. So wow. it's really a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And again, going back to my days of talking to parents about movies, this movie is super clean except for one what we call a sexual expletive and a scatological term. And moms and dads, I'll let you figure out what I'm talking about. Other than those two words in this movie, if if my memory serves correctly, it's pretty clear sailing. And uh, something I think that teens especially could enjoy with their parents. Might be a little hard to find, but I'm sure you can stream it somewhere. So take a look and see if you'd like to see the film. I'm thinking, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about some of those little behind-the-scenes stories Mm-hmm. are as fascinating as the large-scale stories, you know. Yeah. I, oddly, I'm thinking, I went to the circus one time, and I'm watching, of course, all of the things going on in the three rings, the, you know, the the, the big acts that are mm-hmm. happening. And off to the side, I noticed just one little guy who, uh, sweeping up, really, you know. <laughs> yes. And I watched him look up, kind of up into the scaffolding of the circus, and then sort of put his broom down and scale the scaffolding in a manner that was just as exciting as anything I was seeing <laughs> in the circus, to change a light bulb (laughs) and then he came back down again and picked his broom up and I thought gosh these behind the scenes stories you know that keep the stories of the people who sort of keep the big show running yeah yeah Yeah, exactly uh, are remarkable sometimes yeah yeah and we all know Neil Armstrong yeah for sure we don't know so many other people that were involved yeah so and and I was just a I was a space case let me tell you as a kid (laughs) I loved anything to do with space and uh, that was super exciting
Well, The Dish is the film. It's been a pleasure to chat about it with Rod Gustafson here on The Apple Seed. Rod, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways through the books that we read and the films that we love and the songs that we remember and the meals that we share. And, of course, through the telling of stories from teller to listener, sometimes through generations and generations. It's always a pleasure to chat with Rod Gustafson, longtime friend of the show. We'll be sure to have him back. There is a lot more coming up. You're going to hear a story from Donald Davis. And as we began our hour today with a babysitting story called a Frightful Night, a story told for you by Glenda Bonin. You're going to hear another babysitting story, this time from Donald Davis, the North Carolina storyteller who has performed all over the country, makes his home just about everywhere. People call him the Dean. You're going to hear uh, from David Holt and Josh Goforth with a song about a last meal and even a little cowboy poetry from Waddy Mitchell. It's all coming up right here on The Apple Seat. I'm Sam You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on The Appleseed, bringing these stories into your home and into your heart. It's been a great hour so far. We heard uh, just a moment ago a conversation with our friend Rod Gustafson about a film called The Dish that you may want to check out. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, and chatting with friends about some of the great stories that they love is something that we love to do here on the show. And at the top of the hour, you heard a babysitting story, a babysitting story called A Frightful night in which a young Glenda Bonin has to survive her first night as a babysitter. And up now, we've got another babysitting mishap story from a guy who knows a thing or two about getting into mischief, at least as a child, anyway. Speaking of Donald Davis, people call him the Dean of Storytelling. This is from a collection of stories about trouble with little brothers. Does that resonate with anyone? The story is called Watch the Baby, and it In this story, the person causing the trouble, at least from the perspective of a very young Donald Davis, is his little brother Joe. And as Donald puts it, it's the story of getting permanently fired as his brother's babysitter, which, of course, turns out to be just fine by him. Here's the story. Again, it's called Watch the Baby, and we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Watch the baby. When my little brother Joe was born, I got a new name. Up until then, I truly thought my name was Baby, because that's what everybody called me. After all, I was the first baby in our family. But when my brother Joe was born, all of a sudden, people started calling me Donald, and he got my old name. Now he was The baby, the baby, oh, look at the baby. Isn't the baby cute? Isn't the baby beautiful? I simply hated that. But this is what I hated the most about having a baby brother. You see, I was fairly busy when I was a little kid. I needed to do things like throw rocks in the creek, throw sticks in the road, break limbs off trees, and I would be right in the middle of doing something very important And my mother would come along and she would say something like, Oh, I need to go hang out the clothes. 
Come and watch the baby. And I would think, you are a grown-up woman, and you cannot tell that I am busy. I simply hated watching the baby. Well, I had a little cousin named Andy. Andy was almost as old as I was. He was sort of the next-in-line grandchild in the family. And Andy and I loved to spend the day playing together because, you see, we didn't live together. I could go spend the day at his house, and if I got mad, I would simply go home. Or he could come spend the day at my house, and if I got mad, he could simply go home. It was a good plan. Well, time went on, and Andy and I got to be about five years old, which meant that my baby brother Joe was still two years old. One day, Andy and I were spending the whole day together playing over at my house. We were out in the backyard working on a very complicated engineering project. We had put all our cars and trucks together in one little group. We had a water hose. We had some tools you could dig with. And we were making a big pit of sticky red clay mud and then using the red clay mud to pave little roads that would bake in the sunshine for our cars and trucks. It was hard work too because when we first got out there, there was grass we had to get rid of before we could even start. We were working away and out came my mother walking up to us. Then she said, oh boys, I need your help. I need to go out to the garden and pick some beans for our supper. You boys come in the house and watch the baby. Well, Andy looked up at my mama and he said, We are busy. She looked down at both of us and she said, Not anymore, you're not. Come and watch the baby. We started in the house. Now, my cousin Andy sometimes had a little smart mouth. And as we walked into the house, he looked up at my mother and he said, Aunt Lucille, I have a question. She said, and what's your question? He looked straight at her and he said, how do you get fired? She stopped and said, what are you talking about, get fired? He said, how do you get fired from watching a baby? My mother looked at him and said, now you just stop thinking about that. You can't get fired. There's nobody else to do it. He is your cousin. She looked at me. He is your brother. Now, her voice was changing. Get in this house and watch the baby there was no choice. Well, my mother left us in the kitchen. She took her bucket and headed out to the garden to pick the beans. Andy and I looked down at Joe. He was, he was in his little playpen there, there on the kitchen floor. Now, it was not 
a playpen with meshy stuff around the edges. No, no, no. It was an old wooden playpen with wooden bars, just like a little jailhouse for babies. We looked at him playing down there in his playpen, and we thought, now, what are we going to have to do with you? All of a sudden, Andy and I realized that my mother was way out in the garden and she could not hear us. So we decided to do one of our favorite things. We decided to play a game we called Make the Baby Cry. We played it with cookies. We got the cookies and we sat down in the floor with the cookies and we looked at him trapped in his playpen and he watched us while we ate cookies. His little arms would come out through the bars and he would reach toward the cookies as far as he could reach and he would cry, ah, ah, give me some, give me some. Ah. We would figure out exactly how long his arm was and we would hold a cookie up till he could almost get it and then we would eat the cookie and he would cry every time. Well, in a little while, we ran out of cookies, so we had to play something else. We started playing another one of our favorite games. It was called Fishing for Babies. You see, my brother Joe would lose one of his little toys out of the playpen. He'd drop a little toy over the side, and he would want us to throw the toy back in the playpen so he could get it. And Andy and I would pick up the toy, but before we would throw it back, we would tie a string on the toy. That way we could hold the other end of the string, throw the toy in the playpen. Before he could get it, we could yank it back out, throw it in again, yank it back out, fishing for babies. It was a good game. In a little while, we got tired of that. And so we looked at my little brother Joe and we said, we're not going to play with you anymore. You have toys. You just play with your toys. He started crying. No, no, play with me, play with me. I said, hush, just hush that whining. Play, I know what to do. Play punching bag with your little rattle. I'll fix it for you. Now, you see, he had this little rattle. You can't get them like this anymore. They've stopped making them, maybe because of us. The little rattle was made like a little clown's head, a little clown's head about as big as your fist, hollow on the inside with little beans or something in there so when you would shake it, it would go rattle, 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 rattle. But instead of being like most rattles, it didn't have a handle on it. No, no, no. Instead of a handle, right where the clown's neck would be, there was a little spring about six inches long. And on the other end of the spring, a rubber suction cup so you could stick the rattle on the tray of his high chair and he could play with it. Biddle, 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 biddle. You could stick it on the kitchen table. He could knock it all around. Rattle, 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 rattle. And I said, I'll stick it on the cabinet and it'll be just like a punching bag. So I picked up that rattle, reached through the bars of his playpen, stuck it on the cabinet, and I said, now, 
play punching bag. He went over to the rattle and he went pow, 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 pow. And the rattle fell off the cabinet. And that's when I realized what I'd forgotten to do. For that suction cup to stick well, it needed to be wet. So I picked up the rattle and I just licked it all over and reached in and all of a sudden, that's when my cousin Andy, you see, this is all really his fault. That's when my cousin Andy said, stick it on his head. And instead of sticking the suction cup on the cabinet, we stuck that rubber suction cup that I had just licked right in the center of my brother's forehead. There, that little clown stuck right out like a unicorn's horn. My little brother Joe thought it was so funny. He was jumping around with the little clown bobbing up and down right in front of his eyes. He was reaching up, batting it all back and forth. Andy and I were rolling over in the floor, crying. We were laughing so hard. This was the funniest thing we had ever seen in our lives. Well, my little brother Joe thought that that was funny for about one minute. And then it started to hurt, and he started crying, Get it off! Get it off! It hurts! It hurts! Get it off! Oh, please, get it off! Well, we tried to get it off. It wouldn't come off. We pulled and we pulled and I would hold on to Joe and Andy would pull and Joe's little neck would just get longer and longer and we would swap and we'd pull the other way. And then we got Joe to just sit down and hold the bars of the playpen and put his little chin over the top of the rail and we both got hold of the rattle and while he held on we pulled and we pulled and all of a sudden the rattle went pop and when it popped loose right there in the center of his forehead a great big round sucked up red circle and it would not wash off i thought whoa we're in trouble but in just a moment i figured out what to do about it i thought all we got to do is put some of my mama's makeup on it, and everything will be fine. We went in the bedroom, started looking for the makeup. We couldn't find it. We went on into the bathroom, started looking for the makeup. We couldn't find it. We looked and looked and looked. We were looking in the bathroom cabinets, and all of a sudden, Andy said, let's try this. He had just picked up a full bottle of pink calamine lotion. We shook it all up, got a little piece of cotton, and we dabbed calamine lotion all over the little circle on my brother's forehead, and it covered it up. But it was not quite the same color he was. We looked at him, and Andy said, we better put some more on. We put it solidly 
all the way across his forehead till his forehead was one color. Then he kind of looked like a two-tone Chevy. Better put some more on. We kept putting it. The more we put, the more we had to keep going. By the time we had emptied the entire bottle of calamine lotion, my brother was totally pink everywhere he was not wearing a diaper. He was the same color all over. It just wasn't the color he was supposed to be. Right then, my mother got back to the house. Andy and I met her out on the porch. She said, uh, how's the baby? Just fine. Did you watch him? Yes. Do I need to go check on him? No. I better go check on him. When my mother walked in the kitchen door and saw that little solid pink baby, she squealed, he's sick. And she grabbed him up in her arms, put her hand on his forehead to see if he had a temperature, and she held her hand there just long enough that when she took it away, all that pink stuff came right off on her hand, and there was uncovered the big red circle. Oh, could my mother get mad in a hurry. You should have heard her. What in the world have you done to my baby? You have beat him up while I was gone and tried to cover it up. Oh, I'm just absolutely as mad as I can be. I'll bet you think this story has a bad ending. I thought it did too. And then all of a sudden, I could not believe what my mother said. She was so mad. She was saying, I am so angry at you boys. You two boys, look at me right now. I am talking to both of you. Look straight at me. Don't look the other way. Look straight at me. I am so mad. I, am, I will tell you how mad. I am so mad. You two boys never, never, never get to watch him again. Hooray! We did it. We got fired from watching the baby. And from then on, I knew that no matter what I was ever doing, I would never again have to stop and watch the baby. Donald Davis with Watch the Baby. Did you ever get into mischief or torture your siblings when your parents weren't around or get tortured by them? You likely thought of an experience of your own as you were listening to that story. And uh, we encourage you always to open your mouth and tell those stories around the kitchen table or the living room. And we'd love to hear those stories too. Write them down. Feel free to send us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's the apple seed, all one word, at BYU. 
edu. Now, so far, you've heard stories about the first and last time babysitting. How about a little something about last meals? This is a humorous song from David Holt and Josh Goforth, wonderful musicians who have played individually and together on stages around the world. David Holt, of course, the Grammy-winning storyteller and uh, musician, and Josh Goforth matching him step for step in this song, about a death row inmate who figures out a way to stay his own execution. You're sure to enjoy it. Here's My Last Meal, performed by David Holt and Josh Goforth, here on The Appleseed. I heard the warden say Son, you have one more day One more meal, I'm going to carry you away. Now, if we ain't got it, we'll go out and get it. Because you don't have to die till we get back with it. So I said, bring me two dinosaur eggs over easy. Fried in butter and not too greasy. Cobra tooth and a tiger stick and a whole hippopotamus. Well, big now go and get my dinner. Go and get my dinner. You ain't got it. Go out and get it. Cause I don't have to die till you get back with it. Bring me a cup of crocodile tears, purple watermelon and alligator ears. Two cross-eyed, a catfish with a bowl of wavy gravy in a left hand dish. Now go and get my dinner. Go and get my dinner. You ain't got it. Go out and get it. Cause I don't have to die till you get back. Snake hips, the fork of his tongue and both of his lips. Leopard spot, a tiger stripe, and don't come back till it's cooked just right now. Go and get my dinner. Go and get my dinner. You ain't got it. Go out and get it, cause I don't have to die till you get back. of chocolate in a hundred pound blocks root beer float in a cardboard box i'm gonna eat and drink my fill cause lord knows this is my last meal now go and 
get my dinner go and get my dinner you ain't got it go out and get it cause i don't have to die till you get back with it go and get my dinner go and get my dinner you ain't got it go out and get it My Last Meal, performed by David Holt and Josh Goforth from a collection of tunes and tales called Cutting Loose. And to accompany that delightful song, we thought we'd bring you this little field piece put together by Sage Smiley, one of our assistant producers. Sage grabbed a microphone and took to the streets to ask the question, if you could pick your last meal what would it be? And while the answers aren't quite as exotic as dinosaur eggs and tiger steaks, the stuff from David Holt and Josh Goforth's song, they'll likely get you thinking about what your ideal last meal might be. Slow cook a pot roast well-seasoned with some nice mashed potatoes and some nicely cooked green beans. So we'd have some pesto pasta, the little curly ones, not the bow ties, because those don't get done even. And then there'd be grilled, grilled, not baked, not fried, grilled chicken. There would be a fruit salad with blueberries, mangoes, Ah, that was so good. And then for dessert, there would be just like 20 Danish pastries. At least. I'd, and I eat those till I fall asleep and then die. Um, a nice porterhouse steak with a baked potato. Steak and potatoes. Um, definitely would be like sushi until I can't move. Like a salad buffet, because then that means I'm in control and I can decide how long the meal lasts. Just like a big Thanksgiving dinner with like turkey and gravy and stuffing and all the good stuff. Some really, really well-made seafood. Like really, really well-cooked like grilled shrimp um, with maybe some nice like grilled veggies and then maybe also, just because it's also tasty, like some crab with like garlic butter, but it's like really good crab. So like I love seafood, but it has to be like really well-made. So just like a plethora of seafoods that are like really well-cooked and like good lemony stuff on them. Something really extravagant with chocolate in it because I'm allergic to chocolate, so I can't eat that normally. Maybe some caramel loading, caramel loading for the last meal. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like four cheese, like, and anything with like tons of cheese and white sauce on it. So pasta for sure, penne, I like my, uh, like my pasta to be tubular. Um, so I really like bananas with peanut butter, but it had the bananas to be like mildly green. And then, not like super green, but like kind of green. And then skippy, extra crunchy peanut butter. And then I would eat some vanilla yogurt. Oh, mangoes. I know that's not a meal, but like just mangoes. Okay. All the mangoes as a meal. I'd eat them all. That would be it. Probably go like a nice grilled salmon with asparagus, you know, a nice lemon drizzle on top to drink maybe like a nice lemonade, I like lemon things, so I'd want to incorporate that. I've loved it, loved it my whole life, so why not on my last day? A really, really good 
cheeseburger, probably preferably from In-N-Out, but I would take like just a good, good cheeseburger with good fries and Dr. Pepper. No, not the In-N-Out fries, <laughs> the In-N-Out burger. I was just actually talking about this yesterday. We, my brother and I went to In-N-Out. They aren't good, but they're part of the experience. <laughs> so I will stay loyal to them. Well, if that didn't get you thinking about your ideal last meal, maybe at least it got you thinking about your ideal next meal, right? My mouth is watering just a little bit thinking about all those tasty foods. It's been a pleasure to bring you stories and songs of firsts and lasts from Glenda Bonin and Donald Davis and David Holt and Josh Goforth. And now it's time for our last, last story. Cowboy poet Waddy Mitchell has performed on dozens of television programs, including Larry King Live and Good Morning America. However, his four appearances on The Tonight Show almost never happened. The story goes that his neighbor took the first phoned invitation from The Tonight Show, drove 40 miles to deliver the message to the remotely based Waddy Mitchell, and returned with a no thanks because it was calving time and he'd never heard of Johnny Carson. Well, this is a sweet little poem about a last dance. It's called The Bell of the Ball, and it's the perfect way to wrap up today's episode of The Appleseed. Here's Waddy Mitchell. Well, I drove her all right to the shindig that night. Of course, I said it was just for the ride, but, well, it probably bought me some dances, I thought, as I walked with her proudly inside. I paid her way in. We got her hand stamped, and then I was ready to go shake a leg, but we were met by some guys with stars in their eyes before I'd hung my hat on a peg. One asked, may I, ma'am? She offered her hand. So I waved as they went off to dance, and Though she'd gone off with him, I still thought with a grin, won't be long now till I get my chance. By the wall were some chairs, so I took a seat there, and I marveled as she two-stepped around. Her blonde hair would flow as she danced to and fro, her feet barely touching the ground. An hour slipped by. I had no chance to try. It seemed hopefuls were lying to the door, but every once in a while she'd flash me a smile as she waltzed past me out on the floor. I was just going to go ask when Miss Tucker come past, all five foot and built somewhat round. She insisted one whirl, and I'll tell you, that girl Perkner flung me plumb out of town. I'd barely recouped when Granny Colberry swooped me up for a Varsuvian, then a shoddish with Trish, who was once quite a dish. But all things up someday fall down. It was... Becoming apparent that with her full card, I daren't even dream of a dance with her besides. Why would she want to waste time with me when I was just one night chauffeur? So except for one trip to the truck for a nip, I demoted myself to wallflower. I watched two flask abused and one fight defused. Miss Tucker made cowpunchers cower. Seemed I'd sat there for days. Though I'd tried different ways, I couldn't get close to her at all. I don't know what I expect. I guess that's what you get when you come with the bell of the ball. Wished I'd stayed at the ranch when the band yelled, Last dance! When I turned to see standing right there by a whole herd of men doing their best to crowd in was that gal with the pretty blonde hair. She winked me her charm, took hold to my arm. All them fellers were sure looking sad when she said through the noise, I'm real sorry, boys, but the last dance, 
I say for my dad. Wadi Mitchell on the Appleseed with Bell of the Ball. What a pleasure to have had you with us today. Join us online, byuradio.org slash Appleseed is the place where you can find all kinds of great stuff. Or Google the Appleseed podcast for something new just about every day here on the show. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne. Can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Sam. Just one more thing before we go. There's so much produced by BYU Radio that you're sure to enjoy, including Treasure Island 2020, the swashbuckling time-traveling pirate podcast in 10 parts. You can find it by Googling it. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 